all profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and they you've got to get them off welfare. Welcome to Cars and Comrades, your favorite socialist car podcast, or at least the only one that uh, we know of, so uh, you're kind of stuck with us. Uh, I'm here today with uh, Bryant, who did most of the work today, uh, Zach, and Brandon. How are you guys doing? doing Pretty good. Good. Yeah. We're going to be talking about um, Unsafe at Any Speed Again this week, uh, the famed book by... Uh, Former presidential candidate for the Green Party, Ralph Nader, cool, cool guy, or cool enough anyway. So we're going to be kind of getting into, I think chapters two, possibly through chapter four. But um, if you've been listening to the show, you know how we are with time. So we'll see yeah. how far we get. <laughs> at, at least chapter two, probably chapter three, maybe small, maybe chapter four. If we're very, if we're very good boys, we might do it, but probably not. Yeah. So, yeah, this is my my book report episode. But <laughs> Well, uh, so before that, I guess we'll get started with uh, car updates. And um, I don't know what order we've been going in, but uh, I feel like Brandon's uh, got the most car updates. So let's start. With, let's start there. I'm traumatized, so I'm going to make it brief. <laughs> uh, so so as we recorded, I was doing all of the work to my Ford van to get it ready to drive uh somewhat of a cross-country trip and uh it uh didn't go well uh the the first night we well okay i feel really dumb about this but i'll I'll just admit it for what it is i ran out of gas um (laughs) oof all right that's my gas it happens my, my gas gauge doesn't work and so i keep track of uh how much gas I have by keeping track of mileage. And oh, it, it, yeah, this was bound to happen. Well, well, you tried your best, but yeah. Yeah, it didn't occur to me that loaded up heavy, my gas mileage was going to go from 16 miles to a gallon to 10. Yep, yep. I was about to say, ooh, that is a real, real tough to keep track of. So, yeah, that didn't didn't work out too great. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's easy enough to fix. Uh, we called AAA and AAA said, oh, you're on the interstate. We're going to send somebody as soon as possible because that is considered dangerous under any circumstances. Cool. Uh, so they had me a tow truck there promptly within eight hours. Um, <laughs> Wait, was it really eight hours? Are you joking? I don't know. It was seven and change. You're fucking kidding me. Really? Yeah. You guys yeah. must have been in the middle of nowhere because like, you could have walked to like 20 miles to kick gas almost. No, they... uh. We, we called, and the, the first tow truck that they said that they were going to send was supposed to be there in like an hour and a half. So two hours later, I call, and I'm, I'm like, and we're not in like a major city, but it's not rural either. Like, I can see the town from where I'm at, and it was, you know, yeah, a, a small, like a large town, small city, whatever you want to like distinguish. Anyway, yeah, I called after two hours, and they were like, oh, uh, it looks like our tow truck company that we called has canceled the tow. Oh, uh, nice. 
So they come back on and they're like, we cannot find any other tow truck companies that are open at this hour. It's We're going to put you in to be the first thing to get towed in the morning at 7 a.m. when they open. Oh, my God. Oh, oh my Christ. God. Well, at that point, I suppose it's a good time to just like get some sleep. I've slept next to highways before, so. Yeah, um, I, I had a friend with me and... I'm I'm gonna spare her weird journey of nearly getting uh like she decided to just get a hotel room and and maybe almost got kidnapped and definitely almost got arrested for being in an illegal Uber that she didn't know anything about like yeah okay whoa that's a whole Jesus other Christ. story Jesus yeah well the, the her Uber driver did get arrested uh he I guess had multiple felonies was a felon and had weapons in the vehicle oh my God oh, oh wow. Jesus Christ holy shit. And he was not the person on the Uber account. Holy fuck. Holy fuck. Okay, we're going to have to revisit this at some point because I got to know how that's possible. How this Can we get her on? Would she come on and tell this story? This sounds fucking crazy. This is like the start of a horror film. What the fuck? I've basically told the whole story. He, He took his dad's phone and was doing Uber under his father's account. Holy shit. Wow. And like she said, the worst part was that the po- the cop didn't believe any part of her story and nearly arrested her. And well, this she's whole a woman, time, so that that makes sense. Yeah. This whole time, she can see the hotel that she's booked for the night. <laughs> oh my no. god! She said oh they were god. about five hundred feet away from it. Ahab and... forever. There is no changing that stance. Unbelievable. What would we do without without the these people to protect and serve? Jesus. I mean, Christ. we might go through a day unharassed and we just can't have that. What would how the fuck would they not even believe that story? Like, yeah, dude, here's this fucking maniac driving Uber on his dad's account. What the fuck else do you need? Oh, I bet you're lying too. Apparently he thought it was really suspicious that she was from out of town. Oh my Oh my god. Uh, oh my god. Why do we still have police? I just I, I don't understand how normal people don't see this as completely whatever. Enough of that. Sorry. Yeah. Oh man. Wow. Jesus. So, so the the next morning, uh a tow truck comes and well <laughs> the next morning a tow truck is supposed to come and after like 45 minutes, I called AAA and I was like, hey, you know, you, you said that the tow truck was going to be here around 7. And they were like, oh, uh, we put in the call, but they canceled it again. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, all right. Capitalism, baby. The market has canceled helping you. Sorry. And at which point I decide to look up the company that they've told me about and find four different addresses and several phone numbers, all of which don't work. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So they call somebody else. The tow truck finally, uh, we, we broke down or ran out of gas. I, I, my first thought was that we ran out of gas, but then I started second guessing myself and actually did like crazy amount of diagnostics to my ignition system. Well, what the fuck um, else are you going to do for all that time? Well, no, I did this at the parts store the next day because I, oh. it was dark and I'm not about to start trying to do diagnostics in the dark on the side of the interstate. But, uh, yeah, the, finally somebody showed up, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, we were here all night. And he's like, oh, you, y'all should have called me. We're open all night. Many and... tow places are. That's fucking crazy that they're like, oh, there's no tow truck companies open at this time. You're like, almost all of them are 24 hours. What the fuck are you talking about? Fuck AAA. I, I've never I'm, I'm actually going to call and file a complaint because of how badly they fucked us over uh, that yeah. night. 
So, all right, look, for anyone listening, if you're ever, if you have AAA, go ahead and call them, see what the fuck they say. But if that doesn't work, go on fucking Google and type in tow places near me or 24 hour tow places. Just do that because that's what I do. And I've never had that much trouble. Like, and I'll call around three or four fucking places, get their pricing, like to take me to where I need to go, whatever that is. And I will find out how long they take. So, yeah. And another thing, um, even if you don't have AAA, your insurance company might have their own roadside assistance thing that you can sign up for. I should really look into that because I straight up just call fucking places. Yeah. Or, or like, I think my insurance, it's like you can enroll in it basically when you have a problem. You know what I mean? Oh, nice. So like, that's (laughs) nice. Ooh. Yeah, I think you're still obligated to pay for that year, but uh, man, AAA yeah. seems like oof. This is a bad AAA story. We need to. It has. It gets worse. Need to look into AAA at some point. It gets worse, but it, I... oh come on! <laughs> sorry, sorry to get off topic real quick, but I have a great tow truck story. I use the same guy every time I need a mm-hmm. tow anywhere because he's way to do it if you can. If you can he... find a, yeah. He is the meanest motherfucking Russian man I have ever met in my life. <laughs> he is so goddamn mean, but he charges me $100 to tow anything anywhere. He Fuck yeah. put, he has put my car inside my garage for me before on an upslope driveway. Like he has driven up the slope Damn. and snuck a car inside the garage for me. $100 every time. He is mean as shit. I love him. <laughs> yeah that's good if you can find a dedicated tow person that's good i used to have one for a while but yeah I, I don't anymore but i did for a while and there was a couple times where you know i did some stupid stuff and he was there to pick me up at you know 1 a.m on a tuesday or whatever it's like yeah oh yeah good to have a fucking guy yeah i'm just so goddamn stubborn that when i break down i make one of my friends come pick me up and then i just go back later and fix it but yeah I've done that too. Yeah, your your reasoning is sound. So so yeah, um, finally a tow truck driver shows up. This is around eight a.m. So you know, seven hours or so after the uh, initial call, and he tows me to a parts store. I it was uh, it seemed fairly uneventful. Like he got it up on the back of the flatbed, and I got to the parts store and everything else. And uh, you know, I, I spent the morning like fucking with stuff because I was, I also, and this should have been probably like more of a red flag. But once I realized I was out of gas, I was like, okay, I must've been imagining that I was getting a weak spark. Um, and I don't think that it was firing very hot. Hmm. My battery was bad. And I didn't know that at this time, but, oh, by uh, the way, yeah. which, uh, which, which van were you driving? Were you driving the Chevy or the Ford? The Ford. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the one that has been breaking down on me routinely like every week for the last like six weeks. Yeah, I decided to drive that cross country. I, and I t- it was so funny. I told you, you texted me. You're like, oh, I hope this goes well. And I'm like, ah, if it's running now, it'll be fine. <laughs> Best yeah. of luck to you. I'm sure it'll be just fine. Never, ever underestimate a Ford's ability to break down. <laughs> that thing will be in tip top shape and it will fuck you some way, somehow. <laughs> Uh, so I spend the morning like figuring it out that eventually realized that I'm just out of gas. I walk down the street, get some gas in my gas can actually like ran it like because of all the other stuff. I like, I had so much stuff disconnected. I actually just ran the engine off of the gas can, like straight from the fuel, like (laughs) 
fuel yeah. pump straight to the gas can with the doghouse off to go get gas. As soon as I pull out of uh, the advanced parking lot, I hear like a clunk sound. And I'm like, oh, no. I go get gas. I turn around. I go back to the advanced. And I climb under the van and realize that uh, when the tow truck driver hooked up my suspension to pull it onto the flatbed, oh, no. he didn't do a good job. Oh, he, no. He ripped. Really? He, he broke the uh, um, radius arm mount on the passenger or uh, driver's side free of the frame. Wow. Oh, um, God, bad. Was I this, later, just to clarify, was this like a shitty old rusty Ford problem or did he fuck up? Like, was it 100% on him or was no. it just, okay. Um, it broke, but he did it the wrong way. It okay. w- If he had towed it properly, it wouldn't have broke, but it wasn't like it was in tip top condition and he broke it. There was um, a weak point and he found it. Yes. Basically. But like right. the, the next tow truck driver, because this story is not over, um, oh my God. explained to me why it happened and how like you're supposed to hook up to tow. And I told him what the guy did. And he's like, yes, that is incorrect. Mm. Great. Nice. But was this the, was this the same mount that you had already welded once before? No, uh, s- same mount, different side. That's what I thought. The, you, uh, be- okay. you, you, be- you welded the passenger side. So great. So, I like at this point, I've been in and out of Advanced Auto all morning. The guys are like, I was like certain I was going to be the most obnoxious person because I was just in and out and like borrowing tools and buying like little like parts here and there. And I don't know, man, they seemed like they thought my van was cool and I'm a fucking weirdo out in the sticks and they were just sort of entertained by like the whole predicament and were super nice to me. Actually, that was universally my, my experience was every parts store that I went to that whole trip was very entertained by whatever the fuck it was I was doing. It's a, um, it's a hell of a story. So, well, yeah. and, uh, the one guy had been so nice and gone so out of his way to help me on numerous occasions that like, once I got the van fired up and running and I got gas in it, I, I went inside and was like, listen, all of you guys have been way nicer than I could reasonably expect of any of you. The manager was like coming out there and like checking up on me, seeing if I needed anything. I threw him 30 bucks and was just like, dude, order like food for your guys or something today. Like on me. Nice. Um, Oh yeah. I didn't do this every time. I just, it was the first time. So I didn't realize, you know what I was biting off, but uh, I'm glad I did it because uh, 15 minutes later when I come back in, like, Hey, you remember how I I said I was leaving forever? Um, Do you guys have anywhere I can plug in a welder? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, because I, as, as I don't believe I mentioned, I brought so many fucking tools with me, including my welder, because my TIG welder is a very small unit and I have a 90 cubic foot tank, so it's fairly small. Everything fit really conveniently under one of the bench seat. So very convenient to take with me. Very convenient to have when my frame fucking broke on the side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> my friends finally like get to the parts store like from the hotel they were staying at and just... I didn't tell them how many tools I had on account of not wanting to like concern them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like, I'm good. I'm prepared. Don't worry about it. But like, you don't, don't even know. know how prepared. Cause I got the concerning. basics. I got the basics, you know, <laughs> wrenches, ratchets, TIG welder. welder. <laughs> TIG welder. Yeah. Uh, so, so they show up and I'm underneath the van welding things back together. <laughs> And, you know, we're de- definitely an inspired confidence uh, f- 
for <laughs> everyone. But that was that was it for that that moment, um, and we were able to get the rest of the way uh, to where we were going outside Nashville uh, without incident. We were there. Yay. Yeah, we we were there at the music festival for a couple of days. Um, well, like four fucking days. All right, I and, hate to look. I hate to derail us, but the, fuck it. We were a derailed show constantly. What was the festival, and who were you there to see? Like, what were your favorite acts? Oh, uh, it was Muddy Roots Music Festival, and well, actually, the band that I was most looking forward to playing uh, had to cancel. Mono Lord. Mm, but dude, I don't know, man. It was there was a lot of fucking good bands. Uh, Slim Cessna's Auto Club. Uh, Munley and the Lupercalians, the Hooten Hollers. Um, there was a local band from Nashville that I caught that fucking shreds called Torsion. Nice. Recommend them. But it's, yeah, the, the lineups are always weird because it's like a weird collection of like bluegrass, punk, and, and metal and country and shit like that. Oh, nice. That sounds like a dope festival. That sounds cool. Yeah, that sounds All right. cool. I've never, dude, I've never heard of any of these bands, but they sound awesome. Fear played. So- Oh shit! I've heard of them. Yeah, they, well, they're like the seventies awesome. punk band. That dude's old like- as fuck now. He's just like, kind of like doddering around on stage, just giving it hell. I once, oh, yeah. I once saw the um, small British punk band, the Vibrators. I saw them oh, yeah. live in a bar. I don't recommend it. Just saying, if <laughs> if uh, don't recommend it. It was I was I was very disappointed. I was like, oh, age really fucking really ruin this goddamn uh, uh, dude there... i don't i don't know man i saw dri earlier in the summer oh. they're all in their 60s and you could not fucking tell hmm, nice <laughs> like was they're there... younger than the vibrators for sure but like i mean they're not yeah, vibrators is pretty old school but i was like i was real they were a friend of mine's band was opening for for them and i was like man I'm, i think my friends are a lot better actually <laughs> But that's the way it goes, you know. Whatever. It's, I'm just saying, if if that's a band you want to see, don't. Just let live through the fucking studio recordings, okay? That's my Dude. best advice. Last year at Muddy Roots, the Dickies played. Oh yeah, nice. They yeah. they played. Uh, I think I saw them recently. Uh, well, as in, in the last five years, I think. But the Dickies, most famous for writing the theme song for Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Nice. Was there any folk punk bands there? Just out of curiosity, because that seems like a place you would get folk punk bands. Yeah, more than a couple. Sweet. Uh, there's actually a really amazing picture that I can, sh- I, I can show you guys. There was uh, a band called uh, Protest Pinata. Okay. Not really my thing, but everybody was like, "Dude, just just go to the show. You're gonna appreciate it." And they they divided a wall of death by people who like red salsa versus green salsa. And, <laughs> And then, uh, like, sent people out into the crowd with chips and salsa to distribute <laughs> before awesome. the wall of death. And there is there is a picture where I'm in the background feeding someone chips as the wall of death starts. <laughs> so it just it looks it looks like I'm such a cool motherfucker that like I don't even give a shit that I'm in the middle of a wall of death. I'm just feeding someone tortilla <laughs> chips. Uh, oh, nice! No, it was it was it was an amazing fucking weekend. It was a, a really really great show. Um, you should you should send me that picture by the way. Just there, 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 there. there were two days that like but they stagger the bands so that you you'll you never have to miss anyone. Good. 
Nice. It's, it's basically like one band is setting up, one band is unloading, and one band is playing. Like it's three stages, three different, you know, Times. states of, of setup. Sweet. Like you might miss 20 minutes of someone's set or, or something, but you, you can catch a, at least a lot of every show if you want to. Nice. Dude, I like there was a couple of like folk punk bands that I, I know are getting bigger but that's not really like what I listen to a lot of, so I don't remember the names off the top of my head. That's fair. But there, there was a few acts like that. I mean, yeah. it was, I mean, I'm a fan of it, but I'm a dork that way. That's cool. I, I used to listen to a lot more of it, and I kind of just had my fill. But I will say that those are consistently the most fun shows you I ever go to because there's yeah. like no pretense. You just show up, and everyone's your friend. Yes, <laughs> yes, I love it. Anyway, okay, so to be, to put us back on the track of cars. Oh, is that what we're doing here? Yeah, <laughs> uh, the you know the the final show ends on Sunday night, and everybody just has a great time and do our thing. I have at that point had one of like literally one of the best weekends I've had in longer than I can remember. Like it was a really amazing time, and then the uh, Monday morning rolls around and shit gets bad. My battery is dead in the van, which should have been a huge red flag for just having a bad battery, but. We got it charged off of my friend's car, and so like this whole time, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get too specific, but I will say that I have a friend who thinks that they know what they're talking about, breathing <laughs> down my neck the whole time that I'm trying to figure out the problem with why it won't start. Because once we got the battery charged, I still couldn't get it to start. It just it would not start. Um, it would turn over and catch like it was about to start, but then just not. Yeah. And, you know, my friend is just being fucking unbearable this whole time. Like, I'm, like, turning it over, and I'm, like, it just turning over and turning over and turning over. And she's like, are you sure the starter's working? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's fine, actually. And I'm like, listen, I'm going to be real nice to you, because in a minute I've got to have you drive me somewhere. But I need you to shut the fuck up. <laughs> she like was insisting on charging my battery because uh, a fully charged battery should apparently be between 15 and 17 volts according to her but yeah I don't know, yeah. I, don't know but I don't know look I'm stupid but like I don't know the volt fucking gauge in my car always reads 14 and I forget why that is there's a reason for it but I'm always like it's a 12 volt battery why the fuck's it always at 14 or 14 and a half or whatever charging like when the vehicle's running 14 and a half is normal. Yeah, that's I don't understand. I'm like, it's a 12 volt battery. It's on the package. It's 12 volts, but it's always a 14 and a half or whatever. I don't know. I'm stupid, though. If, if you disconnect normal. that battery and it's not connected to anything, it should read like 12.4 to 12.7. I, I have heard. That sounds about right. Yeah. I have heard that some newer batteries are around 13, but I don't think that's right. I think that's another idiot telling me things. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So I just I have her like breathing down my neck this whole time. Like, telling me the dumbest shit to try. Finally, we just have to call and get it towed. And I get towed to an O'Reilly Auto Parts this time, because I just oh, uh, trust... O'Reilly! Oh, 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 <laughs> Auto <Sorry>. Parts. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> Gotta finish it, man. <laughs> yeah, they, you good know, job. Whenever I, hear that, whenever I hear that jingle, I wonder how much they paid to the guy that wrote it. Like... How much is that? Cost? I hope that dude is got bank because that is one of the <laughs> yeah. catchiest fucking jingles. He deserves it all. Uh, anyway, so you got to O'Reilly's. 
yeah, I, I, I get towed there and I start doing diagnostic stuff. I take in my battery because it's like, yeah, I, I had killed it trying to get it to run again. And so I take in my battery to see if they can do like a rapid charge. And they're like, my dude, your battery is toast. Yeah, they can they can test that. They're like, no, nah, this shit ain't good. Well, it, had, it had been tested a few days earlier at the advance, but I also had the advance rapid charge it three times because that I would should be a red park. flag. That should be a red flag. Yes and no, man. Like if you're just out there turning it over and over and over and over, trying oh, to like, see if yeah. this works, see if that worked, etc. Yeah, so that's I, fair. So I think it was on its way out, and then me repeatedly having it rapid charge just killed it for good. <laughs> yeah. And once once we got the new battery in it, it started to fire. But like not consistently, uh, it would, it would catch a little bit, and it might idle very rough for like three or four seconds. Mm. And, but my thinking was that like from trying to start it so much over the course of the morning, I had just flooded the ever loving shit out of it. Like I pulled all the plugs, and the plugs didn't seem wet, but I didn't know what was going on. Um, you know, just just because your plugs aren't wet doesn't mean it's not flooded, but you know, it's a decent sign. Um, I fucked with it all day. And once, once we got the new battery in, I, I, at one point I got it to idle just on its own. It didn't like responding to throttle, but I was just like, it, I just got to clear the gas out of it, whatever. So I fire it or it, it fires up. I turn it off to like, go return the tools to O'Reilly, come back outside. Won't start again. Damn. My friends had gotten a hotel room. So I just like had them come get me and we crashed there for the night still in the same fucking town of the music festival. The next morning I come, I'm expecting it to no longer like it, like all the fucking gas has like evaporated and it's just going to fire right the fuck up. Cause all that was wrong with it was it was flooded. Same shit would idle a little bit, very, very roughly, like almost like diesel roughly. And this is a straight six. So, like, so it shouldn't mm. really like run roughly like it's a fucking well-balanced motor. And so I start looking around and that's when I realized that one single fucking screw on my carburetor has fallen out. And it oh. was holding it was holding on a block off plate where like this this had been rebuilt. I, I feel like it's probably for like a different style of choke or God knows what. But it was I just had an enormous air leak going into the carburetor. Which, you know, doesn't yeah. make it run good. Yeah, that'll fuck you up. Yeah, it was, you know, it was bad enough that it, like... So I'm assuming what happened was that when the battery was, was bad, it was probably not even throwing in a, enough voltage to, like, turn the starter over and fire the coil at the same time. Because it would never catch until we put the new battery in. And then once the new battery was in, it would try to idle, but really badly. So mm. with, with a new battery and a single fucking screw from a two dollar pack of screws and it was running again sweet all right well it's good then yeah at that point like my friends had kind of completely lost faith in my van and the trip had really gone off the rails so we actually parted ways not out of anger they just found some shit in another part of tennessee that they felt like doing and after like a day and a half of me swearing if i can ever get my fucking van running again i'm not turning it off until i'm parked in front of my house in pittsburgh uh, as soon as I got it fired up, I was just said to hell with it, and I drove to Nashville <laughs> <laughs> and hung out in Nashville for a few days, and then 
because Nashville was like an hour and a half away. So I'm, I was just like, you know what? It's the same distance home from Nashville or here. So I'll just like go hang out with some friends for a couple of days because the day and a half of getting it running was so fucking stressful. I just wanted to like go do my thing. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, driving home from Nashville, I, the only real issues that I had were at one point I pulled the doghouse to inspect some stuff and make sure that the uh, screws and the carburetor were still tight and everything. And I straight up, while putting the doghouse cover back on, I knocked my distributor cap clean off the distributor. Holy shit. It's only two little latches, and one of them is real flimsy. So I think that I probably knocked the latch loose, because once I found that that's what I had done, you could see the wire, the like the plug wires were twisted, because it probably, like, I turned the engine over, and it threw the cap off, but spinning. <laughs> <laughs> and i i had uh one instance of vapor lock when it was in the mid 80s plus the heat index plus the fucking blacktop and all that really did was like make it run a little bit rough and once i turned it off it didn't want to restart for a few minutes and then about an hour and a half from home my headlight switch fried and my headlights started cutting out and this was at oh. one in the morning of course, yeah, it wouldn't happen during the day, right? <laughs> but I have luckily had one of those switches fry on me before, and I knew exactly how to handle it, because there's a floor vent. So I literally took duct tape and just constructed a vent entirely out of duct tape, because I didn't even have a piece of cardboard that I could cut up, uh, from the floor vent to the switch, because the switches will overheat and start cutting out. Oh, and wow, I all right. Um, they're made for old-style headlights so now modern headlights pull more juice and if you actually like want to drive like i drive my old shitty vehicles you, you should run your headlights through relays yeah i thought that was like normal for well i guess modern cars have yeah relays yeah in 1974 they did things a little bit differently which is, <laughs> which is how you say wrong yeah i i think that that'll come up more when we get into the the section on uh unsafe at any speed yeah, um, but that uh, that got me home. I did have one other smaller... Oh, shit, I left out a portion. And not a minor one. Um, <laughs> we got to the music festival, and everything had gone pretty smoothly that whole day since the uh, I'd gotten it running again. As soon as I pulled off the road, the frame broke again. Um, in a different spot again. Uh, I literally have not had to fix a single one of the welds that I've done so far. And these aren't even like my nicest welds. I'm doing overhead on a like, frame that has undercoat on it and bubblegum welds from somebody else like a decade ago. Um, I decide to not worry about it, but I do like climb underneath it to look around and realize that this is a really bad, like not safe to leave the music festival sort of break. So, like, because of the, like, hillbilly nature of this music festival, like, there, there's a bar at the front, and I just went and talked to the owner and was just like, hey, here's what's happened. I have a welder with me, but I need somewhere to plug in. And he's like, oh, yeah, just pull around to the back of the bar. There's an outlet in the back. Fucking sweet. So the first, like, we get there for the pre-party, and so the first actual day of the festival was Friday. So there are people who are, like, coming in, and the first thing that they see is just me welding the, like, <laughs> undercarriage of my van <laughs> oh, really? Really setting the ambiance for the yeah. festival. I love it. Uh, yeah, like, I was amongst my people there. <laughs> it's like, hey, who hired this guy to uh, throw sparks and 
shit around <laughs> to, to make the atmosphere better. You know. Yeah, it, uh, it 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 was something, and like not a lot of people felt like driving like fucking fifty year old jalopies like to get to this music festival. So I was I kind of stood alone in terms of like people there in classics. So it got a lot of attention because. It's a 74 Econoline. Like, look it up. They look cool as shit. So I got a lot of positive feedback for the rest of the weekend. I kept getting like, oh, are you the guy who was welding your van at, out by the bar? I'm like, yeah, that was me. <laughs> uh, well, you know, they couldn't tell because the guy that they saw was wearing a welding mask and was still under a fucking van. Um, <laughs> they just caught the vibe and they were like, yeah. it's probably that guy right there, I think. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was like that. God, I, th- I feel like I'm still leaving something out, but that that was the major one. Like, I got it fixed Friday morning just because I didn't want to have to worry about it for the rest of the time that I was at the festival. Yeah, so that's a pretty good story. Yeah, definitely pretty wild. That it was. It was a few breakdowns. Some of them were emotional. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, but you know, I got home. I didn't, I didn't sell the van. I, I thought about pushing it into a river more than a few times. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. It's, it's one thing to break down for your fourth time in a week. It's another to do it fucking 600 miles from home. And and from what I understand, yeah. it was all different things each time. It wasn't like the same thing breaking down multiple times, right? I do think that there was a recurring thread of like, I don't think, I think that part of the reason my fuel economy was suffering was because my battery was acting more as a draw yeah and so i might have been throwing a weak spark which is not going to help anything uh so i I think that a a bad battery was a recurring thread through all of this but you know it was any of the other stuff would have happened without that yeah or it could be i guess we could call it cascading failure where one thing breaks and another you know has trouble i don't know yeah i definitely felt like it was just cascading all over me (laughs) yeah so that was uh that was me so 30 minutes or so for me to explain my week (laughs) nightmare yeah uh well brian i think that puts uh puts you next i suppose well connor did you have to leave early do you want to go next uh yeah i I do have to leave pretty soon unfortunately so i I, yeah i can i can knock this out uh i'm gonna try and be brief yeah that was me trying to be brief good luck (laughs) So I uh, yesterday I was uh, I was hoping that I could go drifting neck at the track next weekend so I again get get that seat time because I am very much still out of practice. Um, but I still have my fucking wheels contacting my tie rods, so that's a fucking bad situation that I need mm-hmm. to fix. And wheel spacers would fix it if I didn't fucking rub and scrape and shit inside my fenders. Um, so I actually did get a fender rolling kit, which I'm thinking about doing, but I'm not sure now. So I might return that. We'll we'll see what we'll see what happens. Um, also, the inside lip of my fenders uh, does have some rust, so I will have to address that when I roll them. Uh, and that's if and if I do it, it'll be you know fairly conservative. I just want to pull it out just a touch uh, and roll that lip over. But before I do that, I, I was looking. I definitely need new inner wheel wells so like the plastic piece that like protects my headlight assembly from all the nasty shit that's going to come off the road i will need to replace those before i do this so it's kind of like a 
a later situation. So if I roll the fenders, it'll be it'll be later after I replace that shit. So um, not going to be immediate. But in the meantime, I think I can. I think I can get the wheel spacers to fit if I raise the car just a little bit. Um, Cause I'm like, just, I'm just too low in the front. And I was really only rubbing on one side because one side is like a quarter inch lower than the other side. Um, Cause I was a hack when I did, you know, when I set it up and it's like, you know, look, you don't notice it. It's like, if you look at it and you really think about it, you're like, yeah, that side's lower, but in your everyday driving, I don't really notice it. Um, it's whatever you get used to it. So anyway, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to, you know, raise at least the one side up. I was probably going to raise both up a little bit, like do one side, raise it up, you know, maybe three quarter or not, uh, maybe a half inch. And then the other side do a quarter inch or whatever, whatever it is. We'll see. So I tucked the wheels off and everything and I was inspecting it. Also, I discovered that one of the inner wheel wells on the other side that I didn't initially have a problem with has apparently since come undone and uh is totally scraped through from the tire in the last couple weeks so it is uh yeah that and then it occurred to me i was like oh so when i had the headers replaced and i kind of smelled a little something burning and i kept i was looking that night i was like oh i hope these headers aren't like having a problem or then i was like oh it's probably just oil on the headers i didn't see any smoke or like anything being a problem but when i saw it this weekend i was like oh that was definitely it was my tire eating through the fucking plastic um on the other on the passenger side so anyway long story short i'm gonna replace that um but i'm gonna raise the car up and i went to do that this weekend i was like oh yeah yeah you know i'll undo the collars you know and then i can turn the fucking whole coil over with my hands or whatever and then i'll just set them and that's fine so i was like but I better check YouTube just before I do anything. Cause I'm like, ah, there could be something I'm forgetting. Well, there was something I was fucking forgetting and it's that you need the special fucking coilover wrenches mm-hmm. that I totally completely forgot about. <laughs> I was like, yeah, 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 just undo the collar. But I was like, and then I saw the view too. Oh yeah. You get your spanner wrench. And I was like, Oh, son of a bitch. Okay. Yep. I mean, the thing is need is a strong word. Hey, look, I mean, you, I you have a hammer and a flathead screwdriver <laughs> and it'll fucking work. Yeah. But yeah. I was maybe like, just once <laughs> I was. Yeah. I was just like, I'm like, okay, if I fucked around with this, could I get it done? I was like, yes. Do I want to fuck with this in that way right now? And I was like, no. So, no. um, so I, and I, I don't want to look for my old ones. I don't, I don't know that I kept them. I maybe I did, but I sure as shit do not know where they are. So uh, I spent the whatever 30 bucks to order new ones. So, um, oh, yeah, I was just like, fuck it. I'm not going to fuck around with this. I'm just give me the goddamn wrenches. I want to do this right. And who knows? I could, especially if I'm rolling fenders and shit, uh, who knows when I'll be doing this again. So, um, so I, I mean, I, there, those are all. Those are all the same, right? I like, don't know that. And company I didn't to company re- and everything. Maybe. Or are they like, who knows? Okay. Like, like, I've I mean, like, got like two or three sets just laying around. I could probably send you some, but I, I don't hell know. yeah. But who knows? Like they're, they're probably right. spaced for the amount of like, I don't know. Anyway, that seems like it should be standardized, but it's probably fucking not. It's capitalism, man. They all yep. got to sell their, yeah. So probably not. Anyway, I didn't want to look into it. I just ordered the fucking new ones. They might show up this week, which, maybe maybe there's a chance i'll have time to adjust the ride height this week although 
remember, I now have a second job at AutoZone, so we'll see if I get fucking back. Um, and it would be like Friday night that I would be drifting. So odds are very low that I'll be able to do it. And then I got shit to do next weekend. So it would be probably a couple weeks before I could potentially drift. But maybe next weekend. Maybe there's a small chance. We'll see what happens. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, I forgot about the wrenches and that was a bummer. And that's most of my car updates. The only other thing was I started looking for new wheels because uh, I am going to need, you know, properly sized wheels, at least for the front, hopefully for the back too. you know, like I'd like to get fresh new wheels and, you know, something that looks good, whatever. So I was like, all right, I'll look into some legit wheels and some reps, you know, see what see what makes sense. But one of the things was because and I think, Zach, you brought it up last time we recorded or a couple of times ago where you were like, oh, yeah, I got the gram lights or whatever. And they're pretty light and whatever. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I should look into new wheels. So I started looking because I've wanted to look into wheels for a while. But I was like, you know what? I want to get lighter wheels. I don't I don't necessarily need to like I don't want cat like if I can get like good forged wheels that are pretty lightweight. Yeah, that would be a fucking benefit to me. And that's when I discovered that most of these fucking wheel companies do not include that in their specs. Um, oh, no. I had to dig so it's fucking, fucking far outrageous. to find that info. It's dude. fucking outrageous. I'm like, dude, you want me to pay like two or three fucking grand for wheels, but you won't tell me how much they fucking weigh? And I went onto yeah. one of those sites, you know, where the dealers or whatever, and they had every fucking wheel, at least all the nice, all the fancy ones, the three-piece, which three-piece are probably going to be really heavy. So, like, if I do... Yeah. If I do three pieces, it's going to be in the future, and those will be just show wheels. I want something that, like, will perform well right now, um, or at least be, like, middleweight, whatever. But every wheel they had listed at 29 pounds. And I was like, okay, one, that seems outrageously heavy. Two, I'm like, I don't know if I can trust any of the fucking weights they have listed for any wheel now. And so I was kind of pissed about that. Um, And, again, that just goes to capitalism. It's like, oh, people say, you know, Oh, well, you know, rational consumers with good information will make proper decisions. And I'm like, well, I can't fucking do that. The companies clearly are not giving me that information. And I suggest there's a fucking reason, right? They all benefit from not giving out their super important information. So I'm very aggravated by that, especially like even I went on the Graham White's website just to look. And they call their wheels gram lights. And I'm like, okay, yeah. so that implies that weight is fucking important, right? And couldn't find the weight listed anywhere. I was so fucking, I was so pissed. Yeah, I'll I'll have to send you. I actually found like a, I think it was like a forum post or some just, you know, third party had yeah, like every single gram light ever built. Yeah, and like if you all send me that. With the weight. I'll try to find it for you, dude. Cause yeah, I had to dig. Cause I dig found a bunch of dig. blog posts and shit. And then I found one that was like, just like a series of pictures of like 20 wheels, random sizings, random whatever. And they're like, this wheel weighs oh this God. much. This wheel weighs that much. This, And it's like, but the sizing affects it so much that it's like, I can't yeah. really infer too much. So I was just really fucking aggravated that it's like, yo, the weight of the wheel is fucking important for performance wheels, which anyone who's buying like work or weds wheels or fucking whatever presumably cares a little bit about performance so i was fucking mad about that anyway uh that's it that's just that's the other update is i was shopping for wheels and i was fucking mad the whole time the whole time (laughs) did you not were you not able to find the weight at all ever i found vague references to some of the weights for certain specific sizes most of which i didn't need 
And it's like, yeah, I can find like some of the wheels will say like, oh, this one's forged. This one's cast. And it's like, I don't always trust that either. Because some of these sites, I'm like, this one says it's cast. But then I go on here and it says it's forged. Like the information is just not readily available and it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily trustworthy. Um, So, you know, I'd love for some free market economics dipshit that explain how that works to me why it is that these companies don't benefit from giving the consumer perfect information. I, I'd love to hear it as in, I would love not to hear it because their explanations are stupid every time. But um, yeah, I was angry about that. I was like, what the fuck, man? I really would just like lightweight wheels. That's what I want. Something that looks halfway decent, but lightweight. That's what's important. And I cannot find a good reference for it. So very fucking disappointing. But anyway, I'm not like, I'm not ready to buy wheels immediately. Again, I have a second job. There's a reason I have a second job and people with second jobs are not buying, you know, sets of work wheels generally. (laughs) Yet. Hopefully the second job will get me closer to that. But, you know, whatever. It's just the wheels I have now are just very not sized right, which is why I got to fuck with spacers and fender rolling and because they're too fucking big. And they're obnoxious. So that's my update. That's all I got. Cool. Um, Well, let's see. So I haven't been doing much on my own car, um, except that yesterday I was driving and I noticed that my fog lamps aren't working. And last time I I forget if I talked about this on the air, but last time that happened, it was uh, it was a bad ground. Um, So I need to, you know, just go through the wiring and and like maybe undo one of the chassis grounds and uh clean off the contacts and all that kind of thing so but uh yeah not not the biggest deal uh what i have been up to was uh racing in lemons uh at the one of the few full 24-hour races out at high plains raceway here in colorado out in the middle of nowhere um so that was a lot of fun basically i i went racing with uh Rafi and James, who have both been on the show before, um, they also have, well, I think we figured out between the like four or five people on the team, we have like, I think six MR2s between all of us or something like that. Um, So, uh, you know, James and Ravi had, and along with uh, some other folks that couldn't make it out, had bought this race car together from another team out in Utah and they were in the process of putting a 1.8 liter stroker motor in it, basically using the bottom end from a, um, you know, a different Corolla model and the head from the MR2. And I forget exactly what happened with that, but it wasn't running by the time we were getting ready for the race. And in the meantime, Rafi out on his own had just gone and bought another MR2 from another lemons team. And uh, was just driving it around on the street because it had, you know, title and insurance and everything. Oh, nice. But it still has, you know, the roll cage and the the fire bottle and everything. So he's like, okay, well, we can't get this other one to work. Let's let's get my race car, you know, ready to go for the 24-hour race. And so we had to put in headlights uh, because the stock ones weren't working because the previous owners had just kind of, like, cut all the stock wiring so we had to like, you know, we got the the hella lights, you know, like you put on your off-road truck 
and we just kind of bolted those to the hood, just drilled some holes through the hood and bolted them on there. Beautiful. I love it. And then there was a light bar in front of that. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so real janky, uh, kind of worked. Um, actually I'm going to say that's a great solution for a lemons car because like you have yeah. to be fucking cheap and finding like, Oh, the OEM ha- that's going to be too expensive. Just get a fucking cheapo light bar from the parts store where they sell the like junky fucking quote unquote upgrades. Beautiful. I love it. Doesn't have to look <laughs> good. Oh, that's great. It's smart. Very well done. I think. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't aimed 100%, so we might have blinded some people. Good. Hey, it's a competition, (laughs) goddammit. I I do know for sure some other people that had light bars blinded us uh, coming up behind us. See, they were smart. They're playing with a killer instinct. You got to do the same. It's all about winning um, in weapons. (laughs) (laughs) We, we, We were talking on the forum, or some people were talking on the forums after the race and saying, like, you know, maybe there needs to be some stricter rules on headlights. (laughs) Um, so (laughs) that might be coming in the future Uh, we'll see about that (laughs) that's so cool though it's like hey they made that rule for us (laughs) (laughs) we did that it makes me it makes me think of how the nascar rule book is like six inches thick yeah and half of it's just because of smoky eunuch (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i'm this is basically just a stock uh 86 mr2 so it's basically like what ideally drive it do, the mods that it does have are coilovers, which aren't too stiff. Uh, it was actually pretty nice. We took the muffler off because why not? It's on a racetrack. Yeah, racetrack. And then put a put a pod filter on the you know in place of the stock one. The and, a pod filter. Huh? What the hell's a pod filter? You filter just out like all the a. Yeah, it's like for pod racers, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's just like your standard aftermarket like cold air intake made out of PVC type thing. You know, that kind of filter, the cone shaped filter. Oh, I thought this was okay, you replace I thought you replaced the muffler with the and I was like, what? Okay, gotcha. No, oh, yeah. pod filter. Okay, gotcha. All right, I'm I'm, I'm caught up. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> and then uh and then it had uh like a aluminum Kirky or whatever uh race seat uh bolted to the floor. Nice. Ooh, comfy. Yeah, so I try like I'm not a very tall person. Uh, I tried sitting in it just as it was, and I'm like, guys, I can't see over the dashboard. <laughs> so thankfully, they had some some chunks of foam uh, that I could sit on. Oh Jesus! <laughs> you almost need like a like a an outdoor chair cushion or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it, it was it was surprisingly comfortable. Uh, that wasn't the worst part of it. And then uh, and then other like safety stuff. It has the the fire extinguisher that, you know, has multiple nozzles pointed at the engine and the driver and, you know, gas tank, whatever. So so that that was all good. So we um, I work night shift, so I wasn't able to get there early. I got there like just after the race had started on Saturday afternoon. And uh, I I got in, uh, you know, put all my equipment on and I did a, a stint and I'm like, this thing is awesome. It's a little bit scary driving with a lot of cars around you, you know? Yeah. But it was really fun. Um, the thing, the one thing that was really uncomfortable, though, was like it, that the week prior, it had been like 90 degrees every single day. And then just for the hours of the race, it was like 50 degrees and raining, like misting rain. Oh, nice. So, okay. Yeah. So like the race, the the track wasn't really like 
you know, slick or anything. Like it was a little bit, you know, squirrely if you went in a little too fast, but like I was really cold. Like I had every single layer of clothing that I could put on under my race suit. Uh, and my, uh, fingers and toes still went numb. So that was like my living factor. I'm like, all right, well, my fingers are starting to get numb. Uh, I guess I'm going to go into the pits now. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't get as much driving time as I would have liked, you know, but, uh, it w it was really fun. Um, the team next to us was racing a civic hatch with a, uh, B18 swap and, They uh, they blew up their motor, uh, threw a rod right through the block. Whoa! <laughs> and uh, so we're like, "Hey, uh, how about?" Or I should say, Rafi was like, "If you give us all of your gasoline, um, some of your guys can drive on our team." So like, nice. rather than having to like load my Sabru up with uh, fuel cans uh, and drive to the nearest town like twenty miles away, it's like, "Oh, we'll just use this." And um, these guys that didn't get any seat time because you know, the car blew up. We're like, yeah, we can, we can drive your car. Um, so that was really fun. And then overnight, uh, while, while we were just racing, uh, they decided, Hey, let's try and get this thing to run on three cylinders. (laughs) (laughs) So they, uh, they dropped the oil pan, you know, took out the crank. I think they did something to, um, plug up the uh, the big end bearings on that uh, that cylinder so that it wouldn't shoot oil out of the, the crank there. And then they, um, I think they just patched the side of the block with like, I don't know, a piece of sheet metal and some RTV or something. And, uh, and- <laughs> hold on. I, I feel like at that point, like the least of your worries is the fucking oil that's going to shoot out of the crankshaft. Like, I feel like that's just like, let it squirt. It'll fucking lubricate. I don't know. Like fucking leave it. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, they did. They they got it all put together and they put like some like seventy weight gear oil in the trans in the, nice. the crankcase. Nice. Because they're like, yeah, this will help. Uh, and then like ten minutes before the checkered flag, they like you know pushed it to the you know not running. They pushed it to the uh, the the entrance and they're like, okay, we're gonna go one lap, you know, to take yeah. the checkered flag. And then it broke down as spewing smoke, like at, <laughs> in the middle of the track. <laughs> uh, There's some good videos of that. I'll see if I can post them in our social media or whatever. That'd be sweet. Yeah. Um, or send them to me or whatever. If you don't, uh, if you don't want to do it, just send them to me. We'll get that. Yeah, out. I'll try and figure it out. Um, there's another team there that like, so lemons is all about like, you know, a lot of teams do themes and costumes and whatever. And there's an award for it. And I'm pretty sure the ones that won, or maybe they were runner up. I don't know. They had like a punk rock theme. Like instead of the Ramones, they were the Lemons. <laughs> and um, this one guy, Tom, had built a drum set on this little frame with like, um, uh, what do you call it? Powered wheelchair wheels. So you could drive it around uh, while playing the drums. And it had like a sound system built into it. And then the rest of the team had like guitar and bass and stuff. Okay. Wow. And they all had like leather jackets and black long wigs and stuff. Nice. <laughs> but uh, so there was a, a Porsche, like I think it was a 944 that had blown up its motor also. And it was coming in on the flatbed. And as they dropped it off, Tom went over there and did a little on the drum kit. <laughs> <laughs> 
so there's all kinds of fun stuff like that going on. Um, I'm sure someone's got a, a video of the awards ceremony so you can see all the, the winners and losers there. But uh, yeah, it was fun. I, I was very slow. Like this is my first time going out on the track in at least five years and I'm still pretty rusty. Like I think our fastest lap for the team was like 235 and I was doing them in like 250. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I was definitely not fast. <laughs> well, were, but, uh, were you safe at least? Yeah, I didn't run into any other cars. I didn't go four off. I didn't get any black flags. Beautiful. There you so, go. Safety first. Yeah, exactly. Or as, as uh, Mike Rowe would say, safety third. Oh, yeah. Well, fuck that guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fuck that guy. God, uh, well, anyway. He's his shit again. Uh, on that note, I have to drop off. But um, I don't know. I remember to follow our social medias and all that good stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. And then cool. uh, well, I'll have to listen to this episode because I got to hear updates about uh, from Zach because uh, I'm sure Zach's got some interesting things to say. Yeah. Always. And also, and also I got to hear about, you know, keep up with uh, unsafe at any speed. But yeah. Sorry, I got to cut out cool. early, guys, but uh, you know how it goes. We fuck around for way too long before we record. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Which Good is talking to you, man. All right. <laughs> yeah. Good to hear from you, buddy. Talk All right. You Goodbye, guys. All right, that's me then. Yeah. Um, yeah, I uh, nothing too crazy going on in my uh, car world. No catastrophic failures or anything like that. I finally got my new... Yeah, <laughs> sorry to rub it in, Brandon. I, I didn't mean to, to rub it in. I'm, but... I'm triggered. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, buddy. I didn't mean to. No, I, uh, I got my new wheels and tires on. The Subi. I'll have to get some decent pictures. The only pictures I have right now are at night, uh, and they kind of suck. I just haven't taken the time to take some good shots. But I went with the the Koenigs that I had, which were the the ones I bought brand new. that are a little heavier than the Graham lights, but they're a little wider also. So I think I'll go with those for my summer set from here on out and then use the, the gram lights once winter comes around. But I did have some, some adversity trying to get those mounted and balanced. I, I had a really nice set of uh, summer tires that I was planning on putting on there. They were um, Nitto NT triple five G twos, like a, a summer performance tire, pretty good stuff. They're like, $700 a set almost. So definitely not cheap rubber stoked to get those on, have some nice grip and everything. And, uh, I took them into the tire shop and was like, Hey, put these on for me. And they're like, cool, we can do that. And then I get a call and they're like, Hey, we can't do that. Uh, two of your tires are too worn on the shoulders for us to put them on. It's a liability. We can't do it. I was like, what the fuck? Like you took them off and we even marked which ones were on the front because they were slightly more worn on the shoulder. And they still were like, no, we won't do it. You can either buy two new tires and we'll we'll mount those or you can get all new tires. I was like, well, it's a fucking all wheel drive car, so I don't think I'm going to buy two new tires. That seems like a bad fucking idea. So I ended up buying the cheapest tires that would fit my car on Amazon. And they have been not bad so far. 
Uh, I thought they were going to be absolute shit, but they're like moderate. They're made by Nokian, which uh, they they make some really good winter tires. Uh, but I don't know. I haven't really heard anything about any of their other tires. They're fine, though. They're Z-rated all seasons. They were like $70 a piece. So whatever. I got them on. They'll work for now. I'll have to swap them at some point. But yeah, for the time being, they're okay. Before I got my wheels and tires mounted, though, I went to put my uh, lower control arms on uh, in the rear. Because I bought new lower control arms. I added a little too much camber in the back. I was like, ah, get some aftermarket ones throw those on and then i realized oh shit people usually buy toe links at the same time because if you start to pull the camber in towards positive it will push your toe out and stock ones can't compress enough to get good toe so i pulled them off put the stock ones on ordered some aftermarket toe links got those on yada yada it's all good got it lined up the only alignment shop around me that would do it charged me $130 to do an alignment, which whatever it's aftermarket parts. It's fine. Kind of sucked, but Oh, well it was good. It was, you know, in line. And then the road right by my house had fucking construction on it. (laughs) And of course there's a goddamn rock in the road right past where they open up the lane. So of course, like I'm sitting in traffic behind like all these cars going slow as shit. The cones do that thing where they kind of angle across the lane and I just follow them. I mean, just right, right in line with the edge of the cones. I'm like, hell yeah, it's opening up. I'm fucking banging gears. Second, third gear. Wham. I hit this rock so hard. It clacked my teeth together. (laughs) Like, I, my right ear was ringing. I fucking smacked this thing the day after I got the alignment. So I was like, fuck, maybe they'll warranty it if I just don't say anything. So I took it into him and I'm like, hey, so, you know, it's kind of pulling to the left. Uh, do you think you guys could like take a look at it? And they're like, yeah, we'll take a look. They get it up on the rack. They're like, yeah, it's definitely out of line. Um, we'll warranty it for you, but, uh, you know, we, we don't have time to do it today. So I go back the next day. They're like, oh, we don't have time to do it today. Try this other uh, location. They, they're they usually not very busy. So I go the next day to that location. I'm like, hey, this other location said they'd warranty their alignment. You know, would you guys be able to get it in today? They're like, nope, can't do it today. So a week later, I finally got it in. It was out of line for like, like a full week, but it's all lined up. I've got new wheels, new tires, new rear lower control arms, new rear toe links. The alignment's good. I'm just like kind of over this car for now. I don't think I'm going to do any modifications on it for a while. It's just been kind of a pain in my ass, but I'm glad to have it. It runs and drives really good. Steering is way fucking better. Turns in much nicer, rides better. All the good shit. So... Yeah, that's been my main thing was just dealing with that whole fucking hullabaloo. Your problems and like what you got done seem so like reasonable by comparison. <laughs> right? <laughs> it was just like, oh, I had to take it to the shop a couple times. I wasn't pulling out my welder and 
<laughs> fucking replacing frame mounts on the road. Brian's over here talking about teaching a Porsche to run on three cylinders. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, man, I I've been chilling. Like I said, nothing crazy, just just some minor annoyances, and uh, yeah, it's going well. My I haven't touched the fucking Ranger at all. Fuck that thing. I <laughs> I fucking over it so much, dude. I I know I need to fix it so I can sell it, but I don't even want to touch it. It's just pissing me the hell off. So. I, I know that feeling. Like yeah. you you don't want to like take the hit on the amount that you're going to lose if you don't fix it. But yep. you also just don't fucking want to touch it. I, I have one of those. Oh, yeah. Yep. So I, uh, I mean, I have a new door and fender for it. I could at least do that. Like, I don't think fucking knock on wood. I don't think anything could go wrong. Just putting the new door and fender on there. But fuck me. Who knows? I could probably... I'll probably throw the timing off or fucking blow a tire <laughs> when I do it or some dumb shit. Like it, it always seems like the craziest chain of events happens. As soon as you don't, you do one small minor thing, you get that done and like some other crazy unrelated thing happens every damn time. But yeah, that's uh that's my main ones. I've been doing a lot of research on the Cobra trying to get a game plan going forward. I don't know if I've talked about that on the pod yet. I've talked. Yeah, about it. we have. Think, yeah, you, you went and got the, the Cobra kit car, right? Yep. Yeah, we uh, we made the drive. Have I talked about this on the pod or not? I genuinely you talked about it before you you it was a sure thing. OK, OK, yeah, I'll, I'll give you all an update on that then. Yeah, it was a it was a good trip. A uh, little weather going down there. We went from the Denver area over I-70 through the mountains down into Nevada and then back across uh, the Nevada border into Arizona to pick it up. And uh, yeah, a little weather on the way down, pretty uneventful. It was like 112 degrees when we were loading it up. That kind of fucking sucked, but whatever. We got it all loaded up. It ended up not being a 427, unfortunately. Um, what is it? It was is a 5.0 from an 87 Mustang with a uh, Carby intake sitting on top of it. So, so that just means yeah. you probably won't kill yourself right away. Well, I mean, it means that I'm going to trade my dad for his 351 Windsor small block because you can bore and stroke the Windsor block to a 427. Really? And he take the 302. Yes, you can because okay. it is that tall block. It's got enough stroke to get there. The the small block, like the 302 block, uh, it's not enough. It can only go up to a 408, I think, is or something like that. 408, I, I believe. Don't quote me, but yeah, it doesn't have enough to get to 427, but you can get the Windsor block to uh, a 427. And since it's that taller uh, Y-shaped block, the air cleaner pokes through the hood of his Cougar and he doesn't like that. And he's like, I'll trade you straight across for your, um, your 302 because it'll fit in my engine bay better and you can have the 351. I'm like, fucking hell yeah, man. Appreciate you. <laughs> so... <laughs> That does not mean I'm not going to kill myself. What it means is I'm going to put a whole bunch of money into this motor that is more likely to kill myself because, uh, yeah, Mo power might as well. Probably, yeah. probably going to sell for a little more. Cause I can say that it's a 427 car as well. Well, that's kind of like how I've always wanted to put a 383 small block Chevy into a, a Mopar just so I can be like, yeah, it's got a 383 in it. And then, <laughs> And then you pop the hood and some Mopar guy immediately dies from an aneurysm. (laughs) 
uh, knowing Mopar guys, he would at least try to kill you first. <laughs> like his brain would be stroking out and he would try to murder you for that. For sure. Uh, like, oh, are you trying to do an impression of my engine because of the stroke? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I, um, big plans for that car. Like I said, just trying to get, get a game plan going for that. It's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fucking work. Luckily, my dad actually knows a dude who used to run uh, Kit Car Builder magazine. That was like his oh, magazine. Wow. So, yeah, he's super knowledgeable. Pretty cool guy. Uh, he's definitely given me some good info already. So, nice. Glad to have his help. But, yeah, that one's that one's coming coming down the pipeline. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I can clear out some of these other fucking shitty projects that I have so I can push some funds toward that. Uh, I know I had talked about like, you know, getting it running and selling it. And that's definitely still the plan. I, I want to rip it around a little bit first, you know, have my fun. Yeah. With it. You know, I was looking around on the forums and stuff to see what they're going for these days. And I was expecting, you know, a uh, high five digits, maybe even up into like the hundred grand uh, territory. That actually does not seem to be the case from what I can see. They're going from, anywhere from 155 to 225 wow for a kit car yeah for a finished kit car that Um, is so i thought you were gonna say lower because like i know that oh yeah i know that stuff's crazy right now but like i i I think of kit car and i think of borderline unsellable (laughs) oh yeah i mean like the good the clean ones the ones that are done well and that have the desirable shit in them are going for over 200 grand so I'm not stressing out entirely about it, but I'm a little bit stressed out about it. I, I just, uh, you know, I want to do it right and do it well and uh, and get, you know, it's going to be a lot of money up front for sure. And I'm really hoping I can get it done before the bottom falls out completely of the market. And like I, you know, God forbid, lose money on it or even break even. That would really fucking suck. But Rough estimates right now, I'm looking, I think I can get it completed the way I want it to be completed that could sell for a, a really, like, up that higher range of, uh, you know, sell, sale price for around or a little under 50 grand, assuming, like, a lot of money in body work, which I think is what's going to have to happen. But if I can do that within the next year to two and then flip it, dude, that would be, like, that would be such a fucking come up. Like that would be, yeah. so it's like a down payment on a house or something. Exactly. Depending yeah, on where you live, paying off a house. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not a house in this state, but it is most certainly a good fucking down payment on a house. Yeah. At the last and second, I, I was just like, I should be clear that this is not everywhere. Cause I forgot that yeah. you guys live in Colorado, which is just the worst. Oh yeah. At, like a normal house is like a million dollars. Now it's fucking insane. This state is gone bananas. Yeah, I, I went to buy some like a filing cabinet off Craigslist the other day and just showed up to this. I, I you know, looked up the, the address or whatever to get directions or whatever. And the the Zillow link was right there. I'm like, oh, I wonder how much it costs. It's half a million for this like three bedroom house in the suburbs. Like, yeah, fucking just a plain ass house. Exactly. Like normal ass shit. Like, yeah. Insane. Absolutely fucking incredible. Yeah, my girlfriend bought a house um last year she uh, you know closed on a house luckily she got it uh relatively cheaply 
comparatively because they are doing another expansion of the same houses, like kind of, you know, across the road or whatever, all new builds. And the house that she bought for a little over 400 uh, at the beginning of last year is now going for $730,000. Yeah. It's, it's absurd. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't understand how anyone affords to live in this state. I have like a fucking cush ass setup right now. I live with my sister. Her and her husband bought a house years ago for like a normal price. They both got good jobs and shit, you know, that pay well. And I pay like fucking, uh, I, I'll be completely honest right now. I pay $200 in rent a month to them because she's a great person. And she's real nice. And uh, she lets me live in their basement for basically nothing. And like, I'm still like, damn, man, it's expensive out here. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> struggling sometimes. And I think I'm like, wait, I don't pay fucking shit in rent. How are people paying normal amounts for rent? This is, this is yeah. fucked up. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm with yeah. you on that though, because my house is paid off because of my situation. Yeah. So like, I'm not in a wildly different circumstance. And I like I'm just watching the price of food skyrocket and shit, and I'm I'm like, y'all, I don't I don't even have bills, and I feel like I'm about to get priced out of existence. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's fucking wild. I mean, it's wild everywhere. I of course I I think it's wilder here because I live here, you know. But Colorado for sure feels just like a fucking absurd cost of living right now. Yeah, it's not like Bay yeah. Area, but like it doesn't make sense for a state with this much open space to. Ex- exactly exactly like it's not as bad as the bay area but it's not the fucking bay area like it's <laughs> denver like i remember like not that long ago people kind of thought of denver as like a cow town a little bit yeah. like there's like it was like kansas city or something or like even less it was just like some middle of the country like whatever like yeah there's some mountains nearby but who cares yeah it's crazy anyway i think that's all i have for uh car updates we've been yammering on for a while now i think we can uh Move, move I, along. I did have one more thing that I forgot to talk about. The lemons race is um, it was around uh, midnight or 1 a.m. It was my turn to go up out there. And, and the guy comes in, uh, the guy before me, he's like, oh, it's kind of hard to shift right now. I don't know what the deal is. So I get strapped in. It won't start if I'm in first gear. And I'm like, oh, that's odd. So I put it in neutral, start it up. And it kind of grinds into first. I'm like, okay, that's odd. So I get out on the track. Really hard to get into second. Like grinding gears and stuff. I'm like, damn, are the synchros gone or something? Is the clutch bad? Are we going to have to swap out the transmission? What's going on? And so I come in after one lap. I'm like, guys, something's wrong here. We jack it up. We look around. The fluid looks fine on the transmission. And then someone's like, okay, let's just bleed the clutch. You know, that's probably an easy thing. So we bleed the clutch, it fixes everything, you know, it shifts fine. I go out, you know, run just fine. So, but I, for the second there, I was like panicking, like, oh, what the hell is going on? But then while I was under there bleeding the clutch, the alternator belt had been slipping and squeaking and stuff. So we're like, oh, let's see if we can tension that. So we undo the tensioner and kind of pry back on the alternator and it flexes to the side. And we're like, oh, well, that's not supposed to do that. And I go underneath it and the bottom bolt is uh, there's no bolt. There's a zip tie there. (laughs) (laughs) So this was a fix that the previous owner had done uh, probably at the track. And so we we scrounge up. We ask another team 
and they're like, oh yeah, go through my bucket of hardware and just, you know, pick whatever. And so we do that, uh, get it all back up. It's working great. The other, the team that we, that, that Rafi had bought the car from was at the race. They had gotten like a Jetta or a Golf or something because the MR2 was too slow. Which I don't understand because they weren't passing me in the streets at least. I don't know. But uh, we after the race, or we're like, hey, uh, nice job with the wiring, guys. And yeah, who who put that zip tie on the alternator? Good job, guys. Giving <laughs> <laughs> up a little bit of a ribbing there. But uh, yeah, all kinds of, uh, you know, uh, quick fixes at the racetrack, I'm sure. Yeah, that's the joy of lemons. I mean, you just you just yeah. throw a zip tie on it, you know. You make lemonade. Yep. <laughs> All right. So we're back and we're talking more about Unsafe at Any Speed, uh, the book by Ralph Nader. So like I said at the beginning, I'm going to try and cover chapters two, three, and maybe four. We'll start with chapter two, which is called Disaster Deferred. And I guess the theme for this chapter is just uh, how much car companies, especially General Motors, they tended to see a problem with their cars and say, meh, whatever, we'll get to that eventually. And... um, the first case that they talk about in this chapter is the 1953 Buick Roadmaster, which was one of the first cars fitted with power brakes. And um, it had this uh, this little problem where the O-rings in the power brake booster would uh, crack or fail or leak some way or another. And uh, all the brake fluid would get sucked in through the vacuum hose into the engine and then you would have no brakes because they were single circuit brakes. What that means is, you know, with modern cars, you have two circuits, one for the, I think it's usually one for the front, one for the back. Is that right? Yeah. But uh, older cars, uh, they just had it all integrated into one. And so if you lose brake fluid, you lose all your brakes. So this came up in a lawsuit. Uh, I'll just read from the book here. Robert Comstock, a veteran garage mechanic at the Lawless Buick Company in Ferndale, Michigan, found out what a brakeless Roadmaster felt like. On the morning of January 18th, 1954, he was putting a license plate on another car inside the garage when a Roadmaster driven by Clifford Wentworth, the assistant service manager, ran into his leg and crushed it. Wentworth had taken the car from its owner, Leon Friend, a few minutes earlier. Friend was complaining that the day before he had experienced a sudden and total loss of braking power, luckily at a very low speed. When Wentworth got into the car to move it to a service stall, he forgot that there were no brakes and rammed into Comstock. Wentworth was shaken deeply enough by this tragedy to leave his job. But the story he told the Wayne County Circuit Court when Comstock and his workman's compensation carrier sued him and General Motors was a horror tale of larger proportions than this single case. So basically uh, Comstock lost his leg in this accident. Uh, and then Wentworth was a, um, a witness at, on, at the court case. And so we're going to try and do like a little dramatic reading of the uh, court 
proceedings here. So I forget who was counsel and who was Wentworth. Uh, I think Connor was supposed to be counsel, but I, I'm his understudy. So I, I'll be taking charge of. Oh, okay. <clears throat> oh, and I'll, I'll be the, I'll be the court. Okay. Sorry. Right. Go ahead. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> now, did you find any complaints or anything wrong with the power brake units in the 1953 Buick automobiles? I didn't know that you were going to be voice acting this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I can uh, just, keep up with that. Do we? Do you not want me to do no. simple country lawyer? No, I Should it. I not do? I, I love okay. it. I knew. I knew it was happening immediately. That rules. <laughs> Fuck yeah. I, I mean, this no is in Michigan, sure. but <laughs> simple country lawyer is everywhere. All right. This is what they all sound like. I don't, I don't know how to match that. I could go full yokel. Like, yes, sir. <laughs> no pressure no pressure to to match it's fine just do what you feel do what's yeah, in your a lot heart. to live up to <laughs> uh y- yes sir <laughs> when, all right god damn it <clears throat> when did you first discover anything wrong uh shortly after the cars began using power brake systems and can you tell us about when these 1953 Buicks with power brakes came out? Uh, it would be in the fall. I don't know the exact date. Was that the fall of 1952? Yes, I believe so. And about how soon after that did you begin to find trouble? A matter of weeks, I believe. Loss of fluid, a failure of the brakes. The O-ring sealer would fail and fluid would be sucked into the engine and burned with the gasoline. Do I understand correctly? In a power brake unit, you have a master cylinder with fluid in it? Yes, sir. You have a sort of a, uh, a plunger, is that right? That is right. You press the brakes, the plunger goes down and puts the fluid under pressure. That is correct. This fluid is distributed by pops to the four wheels of the car, is that correct? Yes. And that pressure is distributed to each of the four wheels where it operates on each one of the brakes? Yes, sir. The O-ring sealer would be what? A sealer between the vacuum cylinder and the master cylinder. Now, the motor sucking the fluid out of the cylinder would cause the fluid to disappear. Is that correct? That is correct. And when the fluid disappeared, what happened to the brakes? Uh, the brakes were lost immediately. Did the Lawless Company sell many cars equipped with this kind of unit? Many cars. How frequently did the buyers complain? Well, I don't know the exact number, but we couldn't get parts fast enough to repair them, sir. How is it, you say? Two or three weeks or months after, a month or two after the model was out, you got word from General Motors to get all these cars in, and they were worried about it. And ten months went by before anything was ever said to Mr. Friend. I could not attempt an active mailing campaign to get these customers in. People as they came in were told. Uh, you called him, didn't you? Uh, he contacted me first with brake trouble, then there were telephone conversations. You mean that in 10 months time you hadn't ever called him up? 
I could have. You said that Buick was very much disturbed about this and wanted to get in touch with everybody immediately. This is correct. Ten months went by and you never did anything about this? Because I was not allowed a campaign to call these people or mail anything to them. They asked you to call them? They said to get these cars whenever you could, whenever you could get your hands on them. When a customer didn't come around, I couldn't look up the thing. I thought it was Buick's responsibility. Who said you couldn't send letters? The service department at Buick. It was a hush thing. They didn't want the public to know the brakes were bad, and they were very alarmed. Uh, I think we'll stop there. Um, there's more to the court tr transcript. I'll, I'll see if I can uh, put my uh, scans in, in the show notes, and uh, you can read the rest of it. But um, suffice it to say, General Motors was... Uh, worried about their reputation and rather than like you know saving people's lives they're just like eh, you know they'll get their brakes fixed whenever they come in for an oil change and it's gonna be no big deal but uh yeah it was a big deal some guy lost his leg because of this and probably more stuff that you know we're not really aware of yeah that's that's kind of wild like i thought that you were well, like just reading the show notes i was expecting this to be like a you know, a problem that happens, but not necessarily something that was failing immediately so catastrophically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like, you know, 10 years down the line, these O-rings rotted out. Uh, it was like, you know, right as they went to the showroom floor, basically. Yeah, that's absurd. Like they, they're basically failing and causing I mean, obviously caused this guy to lose his leg. And then I'm sure, like you said, assuming there's probably more incidences of catastrophic failure presumably before their first oil change before their first you know dealership service right that this shit is happening it's that's insane yeah next up you know if anyone drives an automatic transmission you probably know like what gears it goes into as you you know pull the shifter down if it's a column shift or on the on the console or whatever uh, you know, it's P-R-N-D-L, right? Everyone knows that. Uh, well, back in the day, uh, that wasn't a standardized thing. Different manufacturers had their own uh, ways of putting the gears on an automatic shifter. And in a lot of GM cars, uh, they were P-N-D-L-R. So basically, you could shift between reverse and low gear without really uh knowing it just one little click over as you can imagine this uh caused a few accidents where people were you know driving forward when they thought they were going to be going in reverse uh, a lot of people like crashed through their garages backwards uh ran over their husbands you know all kinds of terrible things and uh was it was it specifically husbands that were getting uh, that's over? just one like one example they have um I'm just over here wondering how many Black Widow killers got away with it because of like a weird transmission <laughs> problem. Yeah. <laughs> but basically, like, this was kind of an invisible issue for a while because, uh, you know, police or accident investigators just kind of chalked it up to, oh, you know, uh, people with these newfangled automatic transmissions didn't know what they were doing. But, uh, so you couldn't really do it by feel. You had to look at the uh, the shift thing. So I guess there was a reason for this with early uh, automatic transmissions. 
But according to an automotive transmission engineer, Oscar Banker, there was a mechanical situation in the hydromatic transmission which made the placement of forward adjacent to reverse less costly. By 1956, he said, elimination of this requirement rendered such a shift pattern wholly inexcusable. Still, the manufacturers, with one exception, refused to eliminate this hazard. So this was common on um, a lot of GM cars, also uh, Studebaker. There was a, a, a meeting of the Society of Automotive Engineers, and a lot of people brought up this concern in uh, 1961. When asked about it, General Motors uh, engineer replied, we're never going to change this. We now have 10 million cars running with this shift pattern. The die is cast. The rest of you will have to adopt the pattern. So he's basically saying, we're not wrong. You're wrong. Well, the thing is, that wouldn't even be like a problem if they just had like an effective like reverse lockout. Yeah, exactly. Like You actually don't need to change this. You just need to like do something so that it can't easily go into reverse instead of low. That is completely true, but I'm really glad that it got standardized. Yeah. (laughs) If one manufacturer was just fucking different than the other, like, God, that would suck. Like, it's like manual cars where reverse is always in a different fucking place. Yeah. Some of them you have to like push down on it and get it over like German cars, you know, that it's all like to the left of first and you have to push the shifter down to get it over. And then some of them are, you know, on the right side and back. I hate that shit. I just, I'm just a sucker for standardization. Like I want. That's sort of like in in motorcycles up until the, some, some year in the seventies, there wasn't standardization on like what side the shifter would be on versus the brake or like anything like that. So you could have like a, a number of different setups. And then if you hopped on a different bike, it would be different. Yeah. I think, I think for a while, British bikes, everything was mirror image, uh, just because, Oh, we ride, we, you know, drive on the opposite side of the road, but it's like, well, why does your motorcycle have to be that way? Uh, they actually had that for a reason in circle track racing. Um, you would, I guess they could have just raced going the opposite direction on the track, but you know, they were doing what they were used to. So you, you, uh, you keep your one foot on the ground and your other foot needs to be able to shift. So it was Uh on that side because of that. Oh, okay. Uh, Like actually when, when uh, Harley, uh, their Sportsters swapped over and uh, some of those were, I think uh, like left-hand shift in the, up until like whatever year in the seventies, because they were doing the same thing. Like people would buy them to like race them on the dirt track or whatever. And so the shifter was on the correct side. Yeah. Yeah. I remember hearing about like, uh, like British, not NASCAR, but whatever oval track racing, whatever oval tracks there are in the UK, they were um, going clockwise, turning right. And I'm like, why, why would you do that? Like, is there, is it just everything is mirror image in the UK? Like you have to learn to read in a mirror or something. I don't know. Um, Yeah. One time I went to Europe and all my tattoos were suddenly backwards. It was weird. (laughs) It's like you go to Australia, everything's upside down, you know? (laughs) All right, so the next thing that he brings up is visibility and glare in uh, dashboards and windshields. So basically, in a lot of old cars, if you think a lot had like really shiny painted dashboards before padded dashes were a thing, uh, they'd often have like a lot of chrome knobs and uh, trim and accents and sort of thing. And 
if you think about that, if the sun is at your back and there's chrome, you know, dials in your face, they're going to shine the light right back in your face and blind you. Um, Counter argument. If like your whole dash is like chromed the fuck out and shiny and shit, at least you die looking good. Yeah. <laughs> you look dope as hell, but that is that was it. kind of the the motto of uh, the car companies back in this time. Like you're gonna die, but you're gonna die looking really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to derail, but real quick, have you, have either of y'all ever flocked a dash before? No, but I know what you're talking about. It's like where you spray glue on it and then sprinkle a bunch of like little bits of fiber on it or something. Okay. Yeah, basically. Yeah, there's like spit special like flocking fibers that they're supposed to help eliminate like glare and, and heat and prevent cracking on like plastic dashes yeah. and stuff. But I didn't know. I've, never, I've seen it done also where people had a cracked dash and they repaired it. And then rather than have the big, yeah. you know, like glued seam or whatever, they covered it up with that. Yeah. I think it just looks real sick. And I, uh, I was wondering if anyone had done it. Uh, oh, nope. Never done that. But yeah. But yeah, I mean, he he also talks about how, like, you know, glass during that era was not very good quality as far as like being like flat and not wavy um, and uh, not the greatest visibility, lots of like ghost images and stuff. And then a lot of cars, because of, you know, styling, they had the turn signals kind of recessed into the bumper, but that doesn't gr- that doesn't work great with like being able to see them from all angles, but uh, I won't dwell too long on that. It's it, there's more to it than that. It's a little bit boring. Uh, let me skip ahead here real quick. One thing that I thought was interesting is he talks about how disc brakes were available on certain European cars, like in the early 1950s, which I didn't know was a thing. Um, but you know, he was saying like all these American cars are running four wheel drum brakes. You know, you'd think that they could have some some better braking systems. Um, and then another thing that really surprised me is apparently anti like brakes were available on aircraft like even earlier than that. He doesn't give a year, but like in the early fifties or or even earlier. This is entertaining to me because it's twenty twenty two and I'm still running four wheel drum brakes. <laughs> yes, we all we all know that you're an anachronism, which is I'm I'm glad that you're on this episode because you can kind of give us the 1960s perspective. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, all this added up to, you know, cars in the 60s were definitely not very safe. Another thing he brings up is uh rear re- let's see, rear leaf spring wind-up oscillation where basically if you're hitting the brakes and you have rear leaf springs on your rear axle, it can deform the, the spring. And normally it's kind of like a, like a very flat U shape. And if you're doing hard braking, it can end up more like an S shape uh, as it torques the axle. And then, it can sort of unwind and wind back up and cause an oscillation that caught that causes the rear wheels to bounce up and down. Um, so you get axle hop basically is what it's called. And, you know, this is a common problem with a lot of older cars with leaf springs. You know, most cars except for trucks don't have that. And if they do, they're usually 
heavy duty enough that I don't think this is really a problem, but uh, this was a, a big problem with older cars. I, um, I have two types of vehicles, ones with rear, rear leaf springs and ones with front and rear leaf springs. <laughs> so have you experienced this? Um, not really. I, I've, I've read about it before. I, I know what axle hop is. I actually hear more, like if it's the same thing as what I'm thinking of, I hear more people complain about it in terms of drag racing. Um, yeah. On hard acceleration, you can get wheel hop. Um, supposedly staggered shocks all but eliminate it. Right. I've se- I've seen also like um, you see this a lot, I think, with like Camaros where they have the they add a link underneath the leaf spring to kind of keep it all a little bit more parallel. Is that? Yeah, I forget what they call it, but it, it. Um, it's like it's like a slapper bar or something like that where yeah. it uh, yeah, has like an arm that before the, the axle can rotate too much, it'll hit something to stop it from rotating. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a couple different ways that that's done, but yeah, there's some, some ways better than others. That's, that's the one I'm familiar with in terms of being like fairly effective. I've seen some systems that, uh, looked like, I don't want to say a death trap cause that is melodramatic, but like I've seen some real bad solutions to that problem. Right. So I think that's it for chapter two. Um, yeah, we got plenty of time. We'll move on to chapter three, the second collision. So this chapter starts off talking about a pilot named Hugh de Haven, Haven, Hugh de Haven, something like that, <clears throat> who uh, survived a plane crash in 1917, uh, where two airplanes collided in midair. Um, there was two people in each, and he was the only survivor out of the four. And uh, he, you know, had, I guess, maybe a little bit of survivor's guilt and d- tried to figure out you know, why did I survive? And all these other three people died. And he started investigating plane crashes, um, car crashes, and also uh, trigger warning, I guess, uh, people that attempted suicide by jumping off of things and survived. And sort of the findings that he found, or excuse me, what he found was, you know, basically, if you have something to cushion your fall, that's soft, that spreads out the time, of deceleration or if you can kind of like land flat and distribute the load over you know not just a, a small area then you have a more uh more of a chance of surviving and uh he was kind of labeled a crackpot by a lot of his contemporaries because he was kind of obsessed with this um but he you know really found some interesting things um and this is in 19, you know, starting in 1917, but he worked through the 20s, 30s, uh, 40s, I believe. Um, one thing that was uh, a, a big problem was uh, people being impaled on steering columns or uh, hitting their heads on steering wheels that had been moved by a crash. Uh, this is before collapsible steering columns were a thing. And um, some cars had the steering box in front of the wheels and some had it in the rear. And depending on the placement in a crash, um, it could push the whole steering assembly into the passenger compartment. And uh, this is something that came up with the, uh, the Corvair because 
the Corvair had the steering gear in front of the wheel um, further forward than, than most cars of the era. And a lot of fatal Corvair crashes were because of the steering column being pushed back. Did they not have like rag joints at this point? They might've, um, I think it's more like even if the, all the forces in line, a rag joint isn't really going to do much. I don't think. I thought, but I'm not sort of what one of the functions of a rag joint was supposed to do. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure if the Corvair had any U joints or um, it might have just been a solid shaft from the wheel to the steering box. And this, you know, this is before um, rack and pinion steering. So they all had some kind of a worm gear or uh, recirculating ball bearing steering box in this time period. Hey, do you mind explaining? <clears throat> what a rag joint is real quick while you're, while we're on the subject. Uh, I think it's like, um, it's like a rubber. Basically you have two steering shafts that are coupled together with a rubber bushing. Um, or I guess mm-hmm. in the, in the past it was made of a rag, maybe like with melt rubber melted onto it. Um, and it's basically to absorb vibrations in the steering, uh, kind of like the suspension bushings. Um, I, I and, was thinking uh, it also served as sort of like a tearaway thing, like in a collision. Yeah. But that's just something somebody told me. That's not something I know enough yeah. about to speak authoritatively on. Yeah, I know um, BMW yeah. used them instead of U joints in their drive shafts for a while, and uh, that wasn't a good idea necessarily. Yeah, that doesn't seem like the, an appropriate thing to have rotational torque applied yeah. to. Yeah, like. Like to that degree, anyway. I think I know exactly what you're describing as, as far as like the part of the steering shaft, but I've never like rag joint just does not make that come to mind to me anyway. So I, I was. It's also not sure. a term that really inspires confidence. No, it, it sounds <laughs> real shitty. <laughs> like the fuck is a rag joint? That does not sound. Yeah, good. Uh, it's a brass band from the '30s. <laughs> i thought the rag joint was where they played oh right yeah okay it's the venue mm-hmm. yeah in philly it would be a rag drawn <laughs> what an unusual reference that i got <laughs> uh let's see okay so uh there's some stuff about this guy dr campbell who's investigating these crashes on January 19th, 1962, Milford Horn, a Denver engineer, driving at a slow speed, skidded his Corvair on an icy road into the side of a slowly moving locomotive. Dr. Campbell investigated the accident and gave the following report to the 7th Stap Car Crash Conference in November 1963. Uh, Horn had died instantly at the scene with a completely broken neck. The state patrolman told me to go and see the car, and I would then understand why. The man's character, the driver, uh, was revealed on my inspection of the car. There were four seat belts. His widow told me later that every belt had to be fastened before he would start the engine. There were four electric flashing signal lights to be placed on the road in case of a tire change became necessary. So basically he's saying this guy was very safety conscious. Like uh, seat belts were not standard issue in this time period. He had them fitted 
or it was an option, you know. Did, is this Yeah. Is this saying he had four seatbelts on himself? No, no. I think it means you know, not every car had seatbelts in the rear. Right. And he was so safety conscious that he had it fitted to every single seat. Okay, that makes more sense. Uh, so Dr. Campbell says his car, a 1961 Corvair, was extensively damaged at the left front corner. The hub of the steering wheel was displaced by actual measurement against another car of the same make, about two feet upward and backwards. It broke his neck. He had no other injuries of consequence. The man who towed his car in told me that every car of this make, which he had brought in with left front deformation, the steering shaft is driven backward, often by more than a foot. Okay. So this was a common enough thing on a Corvair that the tow truck driver had seen it before. So basically what happened to this guy is he got cold cocked in the jaw by the steering wheel. Yeah. Like it just shot straight into his face. Yeah. And, um, and nothing else happened. It was just that. And that's what got him. Yeah. Is basically what I'm understanding from this. That's fucked up. Yeah, and there's other instances where instead of the steering wheel like tilting back and up and what you know whatever, it just like drives straight into someone's chest and like impales them, which is Brutal. you know a pretty gruesome way to go out, I'd say. Uh, one little thing when they did start fitting padded dashboards, often the um, mounting hardware that put on the padding would poke through and like gouge people up. Uh, even, so like it was often worse than having nothing there at all. So I, I will say, cause we're, we're, we're talking like what mid fifties here. Uh, mid sixties more like, okay. Well, I, uh, some of my late sixties shit and even like early seventies has really fucking weird. Like, like the way that they mount stuff to the dash is, is kind of weird. And so that yeah. makes more sense now hearing that because I've, I've thought to myself, like, why the fuck did they put this on this way? Yeah. And I think a lot of it was sort of like a retrofit to an existing design when people started to be more safety conscious. They're like, oh, we, we got a we got a padded dash. It's like it's full of sharp screws uh, poking out towards you, but uh, it's padded. Uh. <laughs> oh, um, another sort of. I guess you'd call this a safety feature is a lot of American cars of this time period. Well, and today they have a laminated glass uh, windshields where basically you have multiple layers of glass and plastic so that if the, the glass cracks, it doesn't shatter into a million pieces. It stays in one piece. But one of the downsides of that was before seatbelts became common, a lot of people would get launched through the windshield you know, in a, if they rear-ended something, if they crashed into something, you know, they would like be sticking up, like up to their shoulders out of the window. And then as the car like settled back downwards, they would fall back and the, the sharp glass would slice through their neck. So, uh, yeah, not pretty gruesome stuff. I don't know why this popped into my mind, but do you, do we eventually get into when they switched over from low back to like high back seats. Um, I think that is mentioned in passing, but it's not like a main feature of uh, what Nader was talking about. Fair enough. It's like, logically, it's a pretty big safety upgrade though. That's the only reason I ask. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think, sorry, go ahead. Oh, like if I, if I'm in my van and I get rear ended, I'm going to snap my fucking neck. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, early cars, you know, they, they didn't, they came up, you know, what, like halfway up your back or something. Um, my, the seats in my Ford come up to like probably just below my shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say when I was driving around my Falcon, I would, you know, go over a big bump or something and just feel my neck just bend over the back of the seat and like, oh, like, oh God, that's going to kill me one of these days. I think high back seats look awesome, but I do actually run some, or low back seats look good, but like I run high back seats in a lot of my stuff just because it's, it's sketchy for real. Yeah, it really is. My Falcon didn't even have seatbelts in it, so that was like long long ways down on the safety list for that car but yeah it was definitely in my mind the whole time because it, it feels weird like if you get a lot of force pushing you back you'll feel it you know you'll feel right where that seat ends and everything above it just kind of bends yep. it's like oh that's that's a little scary yeah and uh i forgot to mention this at the beginning but the title of the chapter the second collision basically means you know when you crash there's the first collision and then when the driver, the human being inside the car runs into the dashboard or the window frame or whatever, that's the second collision. And that's the most dangerous part of uh, a car crash. Yeah. Oh, and I, I couldn't find it uh, in my notes here, but, uh, oh no, here it is. Yeah. In 1954 and 1955, Cornell released the data showing that ejection from the vehicle accounted for about 25% of serious and fatal injuries. So that's basically when you get thrown out of the car in a crash. The risk of fatal injury was increased fivefold if the occupant was thrown from the car in car crashes. In addition, automobile crash testing done in 1951 by Cornell Aeronautical Laboratories collision researcher Edward Dye, with the support of Liberty Mutual Insurance Company, recorded the extraordinary path of motion the human body took even at low impact speeds. One set of slides showed a dummy the size and weight of a six-year-old child in the backseat of a vehicle that was crashed at 20 miles an hour. At 0.30 seconds, the dummy hit the back of the seat, and at 0.53 seconds, it struck the windshield and again bounced back into the rear seat. So this was also before child seats were a thing. So if you were a kid uh, in the backseat, you're just bouncing all around the inside of that car in a crash. He might have had the lap belt on. What's that? I said he might have had a lap belt on. Yeah. So this is, you know, in the 50s when they started uh, putting in seat belts because of stuff like this. Oh, yeah. And one more thing from this chapter that I thought was interesting was in uh, 1957, Chevrolet introduced what they called the X-shaped frame chassis. Um, and it's what it sounds like instead of the, the frame being shaped like a ladder, like a normal body on frame car, it was shaped like an X where the, the wheels are more or less at the, the corners and the, uh, the cross is in the middle, uh, you know, kind of, they use these on a, a few different cars, uh, GM cars in the, uh, in the late fifties and early sixties, I think. Yeah, I believe that's what the Impala had. 
Yeah. The, the iconic 64 Impala. Yeah. And, um, and a few other cars used this. I think the, there's a Lotus that used it and the DeLorean also had a similar design for a frame. And it, it kind of makes sense for like packaging and stuff. Like it allows the door sills to be uh, a lot lower. So it's easier to get in and out. It, you know, makes sense for connecting different things in the car, but from a safety design point, it's not very good. Um, tends to fold up basically, as you can imagine. Let's see. Uh, in the fall of 1959, a photograph of a Chevrolet Impala that was broken in half after striking a tree broadside was widely circulated in newspapers throughout the country. The frame had severed at the intersection of the X. The report of the General Motors investigators who rushed to the scene attributed the severance of the frame to the semi-airborne position of the car as it struck the tree. This had apparently allowed the engine mass to act as the head of a sledgehammer. At the General Motors Engineering Center in Michigan, the conclusion was that automobiles are not designed to withstand such a tremendous lateral forces. So they defended this uh, design, you know, basically after it had been proven to be unsafe. They said uh, that it, it, it's fine in a side impact because the uh, the bodywork, the um, rocker panel and floor pan uh, are structural and would, you know, prevent intrusion in a crash. Uh, which I find kind of laughable. Um, and then by 1965, they had changed over all of their their frames to be a conventional perimeter ladder frame, uh, except for the Buick Riviera. Yeah, there's there's more, but um, I think rather than reading more, I, I want to show you guys this video that's linked in the notes, this uh, YouTube video. This is the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, did a crash test in 2009, I believe, or maybe 2014, uh, where they crashed a 2009 Chevrolet Malibu into a 1959 Chevrolet Bel Air. And you can kind of see for yourself just how um, horrific the safety of the 59 is, how if you're in this, you're going to die. And I want you to pay attention, especially to the the a pillars, um, the front of the windshield, which I hate their video, by the way. Yeah. I hate it so much. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's, let's watch it and, and you can tell us why after, but, um, all right, go ahead and press play. Ooh. Yeah. So you can see the, the A pillar just holding up in half. It's almost like it was engineered to strike the driver in the yeah. face. It folds perfectly to come right at your jaw. Oh, man. <laughs> you can see basically the 1959 was totally demolished and the 2009 like you're not going to drive that thing again but at least the uh the inside the passenger compartment was intact and the you know seems like the driver would have been okay relatively um, minor injuries yeah i would say a broken arm or hand like a worst case scenario you break both arms i think maybe like uh you know 
some some. Now, have you guys considered that they the, actually they just don't make them like they used to anymore? <laughs> yeah, they, that is one hundred percent true. They do not. They don't design them in order to blow your brain apart if you get in a <laughs> minor crash. <laughs> I mean, it's really hard to sue a company if your head is in pieces. So, yeah. <laughs> that I think was their philosophy. But this was what what what. 2014 you said that this was posted and so that car was just 50 something years old already and a classic and they just destroyed it yeah i mean that is a little bit sad but uh i don't know now now all the other 1959 bel airs are worth more (laughs) just makes it that much harder for me to ever be able to afford one so (laughs) nice was it oh it was a Oh, no, it was a sedan. I thought it was a coupe for a second. I was going to be real upset. It's okay. It was it was a sedan. It's a four-door. No one cares. They could have at least found one that wasn't in, like, like factory new condition. Immaculate shape. Yeah, it's like all fresh chrome, and fresh paint. Yeah. I imagine that there was somebody over there that, like, like, they got, like, a really big budget that they had to, like, finish spending for the year. So, before, like, they had the car fully restored before they crashed it. <laughs> Guys, we got to burn $180,000. How do we do it? <laughs> like, well, this Bel Air is worth one hundred and fifty. Cool. Go get one of the new Malibus. That'll round it out. <laughs> Smash them together. We're good. <laughs> is that why you hate it, Brandon? Just because they destroyed a very nice car? Yes. <laughs> I thought you were like so appalled with the horrible engineering. It was really hard for you to think about like a human being in that driver's seat, the well, I mean, carnage that, that they would experience. No, I was just like, ah, that fucking car was so sick, dude. That's a bummer. Well, it also reminds me like the extent to which I drive death traps. Like I don't oh, want yeah. to think about what happens when I get into an accident and like <laughs> my van that has three inches of hood. Right. I mean, I have a guess as to what the last thing going through your head will be. <laughs> the crumple zone in my van is my thighs. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I, I could go on to chapter four, but I think we'll save that for next time. I've got to get going myself here. Any other last thoughts before we wrap up here, guys? Uh, do you have yes. thoughts all the time, like constantly? <laughs> what are you guys doing with your brains? <laughs> No, I got I got some final thoughts for sure. Um, if you do happen to find yourself cruising down the street and you're six four, do it safely because yeah. they're they're not safe vehicles. You know, just just be careful, guys. Dude, yeah. okay. New argument for hydraulics: you can't have a real head-on collision if the front of the car is three feet off the ground. <laughs> sure, I mean, that's why I jacked my pickup way up in the air. Not going to get smacked by some Prius. Just going to run them straight over. I'm three feet off the ground, boys. All right. I got to stop doing that. That's makes me feel gross. (laughs) I go back to country law here. (laughs) (laughs) Now you will see that my client did not intend any harm when he jacked his pickup truck way up off the ground. He was just trying to have some fun, your honor. I think that's us for the week. Mudding ain't a crime. 
<laughs> oh, and I, uh, I think that's the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mud and ain't a crime. Yep. Follow us on the socials. Yep. And uh, check out that video and, and be horrified. We'll be back next time with maybe some more uh, unsafe at any speed, maybe something else where we haven't figured that out yet. So we're working on it. Yeah. And uh, oh, thanks for the nice comments on uh, when we post on our socials. Uh, you know, if you said, you know, we like this, this episode or whatever, you know, we see those and we like those. And yeah. Also, keep listening to Fuck It, We'll Do It Live, uh, the sideshow that yeah. us have been involved in. Yeah, that's been fun. Um, okay, let's let's end this. Yeah. All right. Bye. 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 Capitalism works if it works at all because it always has socialism to bail it out and and to subsidize it. Ask any race, any real race. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. In the 1980s, 50 corporations controlled most news media in America. By 1992, that number shrunk to two dozen. And today, only six corporations control 90% of everything Americans see, hear, and read. The money spent on the Iraq war alone, which killed one million people, 5% of Iraq's entire population, and planted the seeds for ISIS to flourish, could have covered all global investments to halt climate change trends.